Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast. The, you guys got to say something. Hello. <laughs> this is the podcast where three Canadians and one American, all of us psychotherapists, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan Howes, a psychologist from Pasadena, California. Hi, I'm Brooke Lewis from Vancouver, Canada. Hello, I'm Chris Boyd from Vancouver, Canada. And I am Joanna Boyd from Vancouver, Canada, and Chris's lovely sister. Lovely sister, that's right. In fact, we're all a little more lovely tonight because we're wearing some Christmas stuff, right? A little holiday garb. True. A little we bit. Are. So, uh, Ryan, can you describe the garment that you are wearing and where you acquired it from? I acquired... Oh, better and better. You got to stand up for us. Whoa! That is a gem. Uh, this is a this is a genuine ugly Christmas sweater from a uh, thrift store. I purchased it probably 14, 15 years ago, and uh, we were going to a what were we? we were going to a Christmas party, something like that, and went and shopped at a thrift store and found this little number, which has got all sorts of gingerbread men and women on here. Uh, it's got a little little bows kind of uh, sewn onto it. Some I believe there's there's some there's some jingle bells at the bottom. Uh, lollipops, yeah, it's got the whole can thing. You, can you touch those snowballs? Are they are they like three? Oh, these. Yeah. Oh, yeah easy, Joe. Snowballs. Easy. Uh, <laughs> I love they are. The, the candy cane connection as well. They're all yes. Candy cane holding, there. Yeah, holding candy canes. that kind of with a little <laughs> rope. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real winner. There's no doubt about it. Um, so even though it's, it isn't even Thanksgiving yet here in the, in the States, and it's way past Thanksgiving for you guys in Canada, uh, a lot of people are getting into the, into the holiday spirit and, uh, putting out their decorations for the holidays, putting out their menorahs, putting out their Christmas lights, all sorts of different things. So, uh, there's actually, I, I got to be part of an article in Huffington Post where they were asking psychologists, is it okay? Is it all right for people to start celebrating uh, the holidays early this year? And everyone's, uh, everyone's sentiment was, oh yeah, you betcha. You bet. You want something fun, you want to bring a little joy, have something to look forward to instead of something to dread? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we could all use a bit of an extended Christmas season in 2020. Bring on the holidays. Um, but Chris, I wear this Christmas sweater also because I, I would like to uh, to do a little plugging for you. Now you have a special tie with Christmas sweaters, don't you? Can you tell, talk about your history there? Yeah, so um, many years ago, I think it was 18, 19 years ago, um, maybe less, I'm losing track of time here, but my friend Jordan Birch and I are credited with starting the very first original ugly Christmas sweater party. So at the time I worked at a retirement home and uh, his uh, aunt used to wear these festive sweaters. So the sweaters were around of course, but we coined the term ugly and decided to wear them at a Christmas party and became the focal point of a kind of a tradition that spread out of Vancouver here. So we, it grew really quickly and uh, we spent many, many years, 14, 15 years at the Commodore Ballroom, which is a 
a big live music venue in downtown Vancouver that fits a thousand people and raised a lot, bunch of money for charity. And we also had a, a dash, a friendly or a family friendly 5k dash we added to the mix and had ugly Christmas sweater day, which was proclaimed official in the city of Vancouver in the province of BC. So our latest project is actually a book, a children's book. The Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion. So we just launched it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, if you're interested in getting a copy, it's uglychristmassweaterbook.com. Uh, is it available on places like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and any Canadian equivalents? Yeah, so Amazon would be a uh, the soft cover book or paperback book. Okay. Um, and then the hardcover is mainly through our website and then retail locations up here in Canada. So a bit of a softer launch this year, um, but we'll hopefully expand next year. Ugly Christmas Sweater Rebellion is the name of the book. Can you give us just a little, a little taste of the, the plot and like what kind of age range it might be appropriate for? Sure. So discover how a simple and silly holiday tradition can weave connection between generations. Reminding people, young and old, of what truly matters during the festive season. Full of spirit and heart, this warm and fuzzy story inspires more kindness, connection, and generosity in all of us. Right off the back of the book here. So it made, made it easy for me here. Very um, nice. And, and yeah, for age range, like, to be honest, like, uh, we're hoping the young kids, the parents can read the story to them. But... Uh, but uh, we, have, you know, we have nieces and nephews, and lots of younger kids are reading it themselves and reading the story to their families. So great! Seems like people, the story's resonating, and they're enjoying the, the, uh, the pictures. The illustrations are actually done by Adam Record, who is a uh, he's probably illustrated about forty, actually no, seventy books. Sorry, and he's mm. from Utah. All so right. He's a he's a great illustrator. We're very fortunate to be teamed up with them so that's awesome and but each book you. sold what's that sorry with each book sold there's yes. a, a meal that goes to a child in need so that kind of continues the giving spirit that really the ugly sweater uh, gatherings and dash and um yeah has been about is giving back so chris and jordan yeah. kind of continue that tradition which is pretty wicked so yeah, pretty pretty wicked. But thank you for the opportunity to plug uh, the children's book. Absolutely, yes. Thank you for starting a, a tradition. And and by the way, did you had uh, when you would raise money at your at your parties, um, that money would go to was it like Make a Wish or who did you who were you giving that money to? Yeah, so various charities over the year, but um, years, but lately it was Make a Wish yeah. Foundation it was our last. Uh, um, obviously, no party this year. Yeah, um, we're getting a little older too, so hoping to pass pass it on eventually to maybe make a wish to to organize it for us. So fantastic! Well, way yeah. to go! Thank Ugly you. Christmas sweater rebellion everywhere you buy books. All right, let's. Uh, we have our own little tradition on this show, which we call the ambush, and the ambush is where one of us knows what the topic is. And the other three of us open it up like a holiday surprise. Woo, what's it gonna be this time around? And Santa Claus for today is Brooke, right? Yeah. We'll have to see if it's 
a present or some coal in your stocking. <laughs> what type of ambush is this going to be today? Oh, oh, we have no idea. I eagerly sleep await. Hygiene part three. <laughs> even now, even sleepier, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to it, Brooke. Let's. Uh, you want me to send it? Send it across the border. I'm ready. You ready? I'm yep. going to send it. Oh, got it. Okay. You must have T-Mobile. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. Okay, this is an interesting topic. Kind of close to all of our hearts in some ways, right? What makes good therapy? How do you know when it's time to say goodbye and end therapy? Okay, it's a therapy question day. That's a present. I'd consider mm. that a present. And termination, yeah. Ryan. Wasn't that up your wheelhouse? Or you gave us a spiel on that a few years ago. I did give a talk on termination. Well, is this are you just saying you want the night off? You want me to do the talking? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> just pointing that out. <laughs> Keep our listeners waiting for all your tidbits. I'm but. just I'm I'm thinking that like I don't know if it's happening down in the States or in California, but up here, um, there's a lot more encouragement towards counseling and therapy. Uh, there's a lot more awareness, the stigma, we're working on reducing it. It's not gone, but it's definitely being reduced. And for any people who have maybe been thinking about therapy or, but they're a little hesitant or, or you know, maybe we could just discuss what good therapy might look like or what to look for, what bad therapy, how do you know when to leave that? Mm. How do you know as a client to say, maybe this isn't a good fit um, and try someone else. And as a therapist, when do we say, hey, you know what, things are, I think we're good here and let's shelf this or end this and, and what does that look like? Yeah, no, great topic. Because there, there are a lot of misconceptions about therapy, right? Yes. And um, for instance, that therapy is the same. Every therapist has that same way of doing things. Mm -hmm. So we often hear that, oh, therapy doesn't work for me. And then you, you delve into it and you find out that they've had maybe one or two counseling sessions. Mm -hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, it didn't quite uh, um, uh, benefit them, right? True. That's one thing I like to say when I meet people for the first time at the end, I'm just, I just make note how overwhelming it can be to even find a therapist. And I want to make note that, you know, if you feel like, you know, you and I jive well, or that you'd like to come back and talk to me, great, but no pressure because there are so many therapists out there and it might take, you know, um, one or two tries to find someone that you feel comfortable with. And if you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. And I think that's what people need to hear more is that, the first person you might go talk to if you don't feel like you can build a good rapport or relationship to not be scared off and never try it again, but to recognize there's so many of us out there um, and to just, yeah, keep an open mind about that at least not For give sure. up. Yeah. Be patient with it. Yeah, absolutely. So boy, there's so much to say here, Brooke, so much to go into. We'll have to do a part two sometime. <laughs> might have to do I'll a part two. Add, add it to the list, Joanna. <laughs> There we go. I'm going to, I'm going to plug, plug my, my own stuff here for a second here, which is that yeah. for about 12 years, I've written a blog for psychology today called in therapy, which is um, all about questions like this. How does therapy work? How do we know it's working well? 
what do you do if this comes up in therapy? What do you do if that comes up? That, these sorts of issues. And uh, oh. so you can look that up. Oh. And I'll, I'll try to summarize uh, 12 years of work here in a couple minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, you guys are absolutely right. In fact, the most important thing, the most, the most, the biggest predictor of successful therapy is the goodness of fit, is the relationship between the, the client and the therapist. A lot of times people serve up this idea that, oh, I need XYZ therapy or, you know, a certain type of therapy and then I'll be fine. When, when really the research supports more the idea that honestly, the type of therapy is not as important as how well you can communicate with your therapist, how well the two of you jive with one another. And so I know that it's, and the, the question that you're asking is, you know, is, it, is how do you know you have good therapy or bad therapy? That's really all kind of depends on you. You know, you, you're uh, a good friend of yours could see a therapist and they have a wonderful working relationship and it all is fine. You could go to that same therapist and it just doesn't work out for, because for whatever reason, any of a number of reasons, you don't feel comfortable enough to open up and talk. Uh, you kind of feel yourself, you're guarded or something like that. I mean, things that, that therapists oftentimes will talk about as we're advertising our services is I have so many years of experience and I have all these different trainings and I have written all these books and all these things. And that's great. But if you go and sit down with that person and you can't, and you don't feel comfortable enough to open up and say, ah, here's what I'm really dealing with then you're really not going to benefit much from that therapy. It might be someone who just graduated or hasn't even graduated yet. They're getting their training still. And you feel like you can sit there and, and you can feel comfortable enough to, to, to talk with them. That's probably going to be the better therapy for you. For sure. And to provide a, to provide a bit of uh, context. So Scott Miller, um, he, was, or he was participating in that conference that we all actually met at, the Psychotherapy Networkers Symposium. And uh, him and his buddy, Barry Duncan, they, uh, they kind of sat down to hash it out because they realized we're so technique focused, right? And they realized that that can be helpful for some, but not helpful for others. Um, so they wrote an article called Losing Faith and where they talked about the Dodo Bird verdict. So they referenced a uh, meta-analysis by this guy named Bruce Wampold and realized that all of our therapeutic techniques work equally as well. Um, and there's uh, these other factors that lead to success in therapy like the therapeutic relationship, which Ryan talked about, but also client characteristics is a huge part of it. So what they're bringing to the table. And that's, um, so I interpret that as trying to find the best fit based on what they're bringing to the table. So maybe approaching it in more of a eclectic way. So we have all these great theories and approaches. So trying to find the best uh, approach for them. Um, and then expectancy. So um, almost the placebo effect that, the treatment is a good fit for you and it's going to create some good positive change in your life. You're saying if the client believes that it's going to work, then it'll work better. Yeah. So I think they say 30% is the therapeutic relationship for positive therapeutic outcomes. 40% mm -hmm. is client characteristics. So again, what the clients bring to the table, their own preferences and personality traits and characteristics. 15% uh, is uh, placebo and then the last 15% is treatment. But I don't want to mislead anyone who's listening because treatment is a gigantic part of the puzzle, right? So um, if, if, if the therapist doesn't have a sound education in terms of the theories and proper approaches, then the, the process kind of does break down a bit, right? Sure. Yeah, so the difference between necessary and sufficient, right? Like, so mm -hmm. it's, 
not you can't have the whole pie like you need treatment in there for it to be necessary and sufficient yeah, that's right yeah so it's a combination it's not like you can take one piece of the pie out right mm -hmm. and standalone exactly standalone they're not going to be sufficient yeah no good point hold on you lost me there you look confused yeah yeah necessary you lost and sufficient yeah okay yeah, what yeah. you're talking about you're talking about if the client is coming in with a problem um and the and the, the therapist has a treatment approach to that problem. Uh, how does necessary and sufficient fit into that? So uh, I think that an appropriate, and it might not just be one treatment. I think the last quote I heard was that there's over 250 different types of therapies sure. at this point. And so a client comes in with a presenting issue, the therapist that they're seeing is going to need to know an appropriate treatment for that concern. So that's going to be our treatment piece. And it's going to be necessary for them to know that, but it's not going to be like sufficient for them to heal just from knowing it. Mm -hmm. Like the therapist is also going to have to have a good connection with that client. Yeah. Okay. Like all the puzzle pieces kind of need to fit together for it to work, but just as one piece, it's yeah. not going to all fit. That's true. But, you know, when I read uh, Losing the Faith by Scott Miller and um, Barry Duncan, I was like taken aback because in undergrad and grad school, you're like, you're like, oh, okay, it's, it, psychology fits into the medical model. Like if you know the proper techniques and you can diagnose the, the right disorder, then the client should get better, right? So it was a pretty earth shattering um kind of study that was done there the whole idea of the dodo bird verdict right that there's more to therapy it's way more subjective than we than we once thought okay i think we're being a lot more jargony than we usually are on this podcast uh tonight mm -hmm. <laughs> we're tossing around a lot of yeah and i think i think that's one of the problems actually with with the whole issue with with clients coming to therapy is that a lot of times as therapists when we're describing what we do, we're using jargon that other therapists might understand, but clients don't necessarily understand. You know, we, we might use these terms all the time, but it doesn't really, uh, if it doesn't connect with the, with the client, then that doesn't, it's not gonna help them, you know? So one of the things I'm often asked, you know, how do you, what's the best way, if you're a client, what's the best way to find a therapist or how do you know it's gonna be a good fit or how can you, how can you test that out? And a lot of times what people will say is, you know, ask them about their, what degree do they have and how much training did they get and uh, you know, how many years of experience they have, which again, that'll tell you something. But what I, what I tell people to say is give a, give a summary of what your problem is to the therapist, uh, someone you're, you're kind of interviewing to see if, if they're going to be become your therapist, right? Tell them a little bit about what your problem is and ask them how they would treat it. Right? So if you come into a, a therapist, you're, you're interviewing a variety of therapists, say, well, you know, I've been dealing with, uh, with anxiety and depression and, and I'm having a hard time sleeping. Um, I find myself a little irritable around my kids. Um, how might you go about treating that? And then it's on the therapist to describe how they would handle that to you in language that makes sense to you and that they can, you know, communicate clearly to you. And, and I think that's the best, that's the best interview. That's the best audition for a therapist, because if they can't speak to you on a level that's that, that you can take in, if that doesn't really um, resonate with you, 
or if you don't yeah. understand the words they're saying, then that's probably a little bit of how, how the therapy is going to go, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. So Ryan, would that happen early on? Um, cause sometimes it takes a, at least a session to understand and what's, what's going on with the individual. And I'm actually the, talking about yeah. like an initial phone call. If you get a, a therapist oh, wow. on the phone and yeah. say, you know, you know, I'm a, or we have a 15 minute, uh, little consultation to see if, if we even want to set up that first appointment, I would, oh, I uh, I would say, give them a little summary of what it is you're dealing with and ask them how they may, they might go about treating it and see if that, uh, that response makes sense to you. And then you might go in and give them a session or two. I, I always recommend that people try out two or three therapists if they can, if they have the time and, and the availability, try it, test drive a few therapists. You would test drive a few cars before buying one. You might as well test out a few therapists before investing and see if that's, uh, you know, see which, what feels like a good fit for you. Yeah. No, makes sense. Yeah. A lot of it's about trusting your gut. So, so let's say that you're already in, you you found a therapist and you're, you're, Feel like you're you're communicating well, and you feel like the uh, the work is going okay. How do you know if you're actually getting anywhere in therapy? How do you know that it's that it's a that it's a good fit for you, kind of uh, going forward? What would what would some signs be there? Uh, feedback is is critical, right? So when I sit down with a client, one of the first things I try to emphasize is the importance of feedback. And uh, that uh, I can't do much about the way I physically look, but everything else is fair game. And I will not take that feedback personally. And if for some reason it's, you know, it's not the right fit and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. We are fortunate. We worked at a, a large practice with like 19 or 20 therapists. So I'm sure we can make a referral and find someone who might be a better fit. But when you, when you start off that way and, and create a space where they can speak uh, honestly and authentically, and I, I find that's a great way to start off therapy. Yeah, that's great. I think also, you know, if, if you've had a few sessions together or you kind of feel, I don't know, as a therapist, you maybe that client is not, uh, maybe not showing that they are as comfortable or if there seems to be some barriers in terms of then communicating with you or um, you might call attention to it or just check in to see how they're doing or what their experience is and you can, you know, maybe say some of the things you're observing, like have it be a back and forth thing. Um, Cause yeah, I guess like Chris says with feedback, I think it's important to check in around goals and okay, what's your hope for therapy and, and how are we doing towards that? And what are the steps we're taking towards that? And how do you think you're doing? And this is what I see. And then just doing a check-in, I think, you know, every so often, I think it's a good way to, yeah. Yeah. So if we're speaking to potential therapy clients right now, you know, um, would they be able to ask for, for that? Do you think, do you think they, they would say, Hey, I'd like to give you some feedback for the session today. No, for I, sure. No, I think that's, yeah. that's key that they, uh, that they provide that. Yeah. And if uh, the therapist takes it personally or doesn't like that, then I would say that's uh, a bit of a, a red flag there, you know? Yeah. And it does happen. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. And that might not be easy to do for clients, right? That might be really intimidating. And I, and I think that's understandable, but I would hope um, that there could be some open and honest dialogue or for hopefully the therapist to maybe initiate and welcome any feedback. Cause that might be hard for a client. They might just not show up again, you know, or they might um, not feel like they can 
be that candid um, for whatever reason of offending the therapist or being, you know, whatever, but maybe the therapist could check in with that and then say, you're welcome to let me know. I'm not yeah. taking any offense to this. I'm welcoming feedback or if they are, if they're not comfortable talking, you could have them write it down or do a little survey that way too. There's, there's sure. about it. Yeah. It's great. I think it's great when, when therapists will facilitate that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it's really difficult for clients. Maybe they've, they've never been to therapy before. They don't know how it works or maybe they're working with a therapist who is, uh, is not so forthcoming about, you know, please give me yeah. feedback. I would say most, most therapists probably are not, but yeah. I, I think I would like us to be the voice telling those clients it's your therapy. It's your yeah. money. It's your time. It's your investment. If, if you think about it, you're actually your therapist boss. Yes. And if they're, if they're not performing up to your standards, then you have every right to tell them what you'd like them to do differently or what you'd like, uh, you know, we'd like to be addressed or you know, what you'd like to discuss to try to change things. And if that's not happening, then it, it's your, you can leave. <laughs> you can let them know, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to keep looking around for the therapists. Thank yeah. you. You know, I'm and I, I, like, I, I yeah. say that because there's, there people, there's a perceived power dynamic there of, you know, you're the doctor or you're the therapist. You're the one who's in control. And the client feels sometimes like I, I can't speak up to them. They're the authority figure. But, mm -hmm. uh, but in reality, the, the clients run the show. Mm -hmm. so, sure. Sorry, Chris, I stepped on you there. Um, I was going to say, like, um, is there, like, sometimes it takes a little, bit of, a little bit of time to understand how the therapist works or the techniques that they're hoping to implement or to, to be able to conceptualize what's going on. So, uh, Ryan, out of based on your experience, would you, would you suggest that clients, um, individuals out there to give it a session or two or three to, to be more before making that judgment call? Oh, sure. I think if they're, if they, I mean, I mentioned the question before that might just be to see if that's someone you want to sit down with. Um, but I would say that, uh, it really takes two or three sessions before you can get a sense of how the, the therapy is really going to work. I mean, the first session is usually all about giving your history and kind of what gathering goes on, info. Mm -hmm. gathering information. The next one, you're kind of talking about maybe talking about how you're going to address the uh, the issues. And then maybe the third one, you're kind of starting to actually do the work. Um, so if you have the time and the resources, um, then yeah, maybe giving a, a therapist three sessions would be ideal. I know a lot of people don't have that, that kind of time and, and, and money resources. But I, I once, <laughs> I was pleased that, uh, that one woman said, I am trying out therapists and I made a list of 25 therapists and you are number 24. <laughs> and, uh, and I would like to, to utilize this time and see how you'd work and I'll let you know. And she let me know that she, I was not the, the chosen one out of those 25. But she made us cast a wide net. I, I respect that. That's great. Yeah, it's very humbling when that happens, isn't it? Because it's kind of like, good. I'm glad you're asserting yourself. I don't mind do that too. Because um, at the end, same with Joanna, I reiterate, this is completely up to you. And um, hopefully you feel like it's a good fit. But if you don't, then that's fine. We'll find you a referral. We just yeah. want to get you the help that you need. And she said, yeah, I think I am going to ask for a referral because you 
you feel more like a friend than a therapist. Mm. So I was like, sounds good. I will, I can book you with someone else right now. Like, what do you think that would be helpful or what else would you be looking for other than age or what it might be, right? Because we're very, very close in age. Um, yeah, and we were able to find her a new therapist right there. Great. That's great. At the end of the day, we, we all want our clients to find someone that's a really good fit for them, right? Like, even if they're no longer our clients, we want what's best for, for you. Absolutely. Because we, part of the, the, the benefit, the joy that we get from the work is actually seeing people grow and progress. And if it doesn't feel like a good fit for them, then they might not grow and progress all that much. So I'm all for it. Let's find the, the right person for them. For sure. So what might be some signs that the therapy is not going so well? You know, after the initial stages, what are some ideas that maybe this is not really working? What do you think? Um, what pops in my mind is, uh, well, we talked about, Joanna mentioned goals, right? Like, um, hopefully at some points there's a discussion, come together and decide what uh, the best goals are and then maybe some some ways to assess whether you're on the right track or not. So I think that would be an obvious one. Uh, I see therapy as, yeah, it could be, it can be challenging for some because you're kind of delving in uh, to maybe some very personal topics. And but I I, I would hope that it's something that you um, enjoy going to or you want to go to, right? Yeah. If you dread therapy, then I, I would say that's a pretty major warning sign as well. Sure. But not saying like therapy is still going to be uncomfortable at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's important. The discomfort is important for growth. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you, you sometimes symptoms, like it's a bit of a fine line or, or, and that's what could be really hard for clients, but sometimes your symptoms get a little worse before they get a little better mm -hmm. because if you've been, bottling them up or avoiding them, distracting yourself from them, um, like your emotional content. And here we are opening it up, trying to can teach you containment. But when we open it up, those feelings, you, you might feel a little more raw or more vulnerable before you start to feel a little bit better. But I agree if it's like sustained and there's dread um, or there's a lack, if you don't feel that there's safety in the room, if you worry that you're going to be judged for what you're bringing up, um, then I think those would be really big, big markers. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think a lot of people worry that they're, they're going to be judged, but if you, if you actually find yourself being judged and you know, try to say something about it. It still doesn't change. You're still getting judged. That's, that's, that's probably not great therapy. I'll throw out a couple of obvious ones. Your therapist should not try to hit on you. There should be no sexual Ooh. contact. There should be yeah, none, yeah. Of the, none of the big red flags there. That therapy never includes sex, as they, they say. They should never ask you for to hang out and have a coffee. Like that right. is. Yeah, no. any of those boundary violations are strictly against the rules. If you feel like. Uh, your confidentiality is being breached at all. If uh, anyone is, you know, if they're talking about your case, um, that's not, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, or even over disclosure of the therapist as mm -hmm. a strong ethical violation there, right? Like if, 
Sometimes we disclose things as therapists to enhance the therapeutic moment. There might be reasons your therapist discloses. I probably did that today, twice. I think yeah. it was in good context, but um, we can share them at the end if there's time. But then the if, if they're always constantly turning it back on them or the focus is on the therapist or oversharing yeah. about their life, then that's, that's a boundary violation as well. True. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so these are the big ones. If, if the therapist uh, asks you for a loan, if they want you to invest in their company, if they want you to, this is coercion, you know, using any sort of power dynamic there to get something from you. Yeah, these are just big ethical violations that should not be taking place. Um, and yes, Brooke, the, to, the, to the point of things can get worse before they get better, I like to use the analogy of, of therapy is kind of like cleaning out that cluttered closet that you've got where you start taking things out and you, you, know, you realize, oh my gosh, my living room is now filled with stuff and it feels overwhelming. But when you start to kind of package things, organize things, get rid of some things, it all feels much more manageable. So at first, mm. therapy can feel like, wow, there's too much here. Stick with it a little bit. If your therapist is competent, you should be able to, to see the progress pretty soon. Um, yeah, I think these are all pretty good signs of, of when therapy isn't going so well. If you're feeling dependent, that's another one. If, the, if you feel like the therapist is making you like, oh, well, you need me in order to make it through your life. Uh, I think that's problematic. What if though, what if it's not the therapist saying that, Ryan, and the client does get dependent on their own to a therapist? Um, oh, that's yeah. so tough, right? Yeah, because like you want, yeah. I don't know if anyone's dealt with that, um, you know, for yeah. some. It's an initial, it's a really important person and, you know, an outlet and a support system. And some people may not really have uh, many positive things like that in their lives. But yeah, just a, anyone experience that dependency? And is that something to caution clients and be like, this is to a point where it's not okay or? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, yeah, there's degrees of the dependency too, right? Like I've definitely have clients that want to see me regularly but then I let them know like hey you're doing really well and you, you probably don't have to be coming in here every week like why don't we try two weeks from now and um, there's a current client on my caseload where there's a, a worry that something really bad is going to happen like it's going to be like this Murphy's Law thing so we have to work through that of just because we're going to move an appointment and have a week off doesn't mean something bad's going to happen. There's a therapeutic moment there or conversation, but now we're going to do one week off, two on, one off. And then in the new year, go to bi-weekly and then we'll go to a month. So we'll, we'll transition out um, as they get more, more used to not coming in. But interestingly enough, these clients for me that have the hardest time letting go, um, tend to be the ones in the first session, they say, I don't know why I'm here. So and so my partner, my boss, I had a motor vehicle accident, whatever it might be, here's the context of why I'm here. But I don't really understand therapy. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know if it's going to be helpful. And then mm -hmm. they're the ones that don't want to leave. <laughs> 
It's interesting. I, I guess I look at it a lot, a, a bit differently than that. Uh, I view like dependency as being more uh, qualitative than quantitative. You know, I think someone oh. could be dependent on me and see me once a month. Um, and they could be completely independent of me and see me three times a week uh, for a decade. You know, I don't, oh, I think. Tell me I, more. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, I think, I think dependence has more to do with, um, am I, am I taking responsibility for and, and do I have agency in my own decisions and the, uh, and the choices I'm making, right? Mm. And, um, and someone, I don't think there are a lot of clients that, that I've seen, I've seen them for a long time, who are taking responsibility for their own choices and they, but they like having a place to come and process, like having a place to come and be known. Um, and they like to, uh, like to make an hour for themselves during the week that, uh, that feels good for them. So it's, it's not so much about, I think that, boy, we could talk so much about this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, you spoke before about a medical model. And I think there's a medical model of psychology and a, and a wellness model of psychology. And I think a medical model would be, I have a problem and I need to, to cure it. I need to fix it. And, and I will go, I will seek out therapy and I will work on this problem until my symptoms are relieved or until I reach a, a good enough space. And then when that's taken place, I'm done. And I think that's fine. That's what a lot of people do. You know, I'm anxious. I have a phobia, whatever it might be. Once that's, the symptoms are gone, I'm done. And I think there's a wellness model too, which says, I, I want to have a place to take care of myself. I want to have a place to reflect. I want to continue to grow. I want to make a good life great, right? And I think that's the place where therapy works as well. And I kind of liken that to the gym, right? So like, if you're sick, you go to the, the doctor and you get treatment until you're well. If you're well, but you want to get better, you go to the gym to, to reach your, your best, you know? And, and no one ever looks at someone who's in great shape and says, you're in great shape. Why do you keep going to the gym? <laughs> right? You're, 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 you've reached it. You're done. You know, stop going to the gym. But for some reason, people think that if you're feeling better, then that means that you must end therapy. And I, I just don't believe that's the case. No, no, I agree. I agree. Um, but the part I would highlight there is that there is goal. There is a goal. Um, and the goal in the medical model might be reducing or eliminating panic attacks. Sure. Sure. Um, but the goal in the second part, the wellness, would be self-exploration and growth. The client would still have a goal. Sure. And I think at, for sometimes clients continue with therapy even though they don't have a goal. And that's... Be comfortable or they might... Mm -hmm. used, they're used to doing it or it's a, playing some important part. But. Right. And I think that then leads to a very big therapeutic moment of what is the purpose of coming here? What, what are you achieving from this? Let's explore this. Is this because it's just habit and routine? Is this, do you want to be pushed a little further? Like the, there's got to be a little dialogue there between the client oh, and sure. the therapist on what do you want from this? Because I, I need to know, right? Yeah. I have a client who uh, enjoys coming in weekly or bi-weekly, and I've seen him for, for quite a while. And I think he enjoys the space, the place to process things. Um, and uh, But sometimes with clients, and I sense that one of our therapeutic goals is maybe them 
uh, practicing that catharsis and connecting more with the people in their lives, but they're not doing so because they have the space and place to connect with me. And I think that might be holding them back from, from maybe enhancing their interpersonal connections with uh, loved ones or friends and whatever it might be. So part of it, I feel, is trying to empower them to carry on um, you know, some of the work that we've done therapeutically within their everyday life, because I think that would actually boost their mental health in a more um, significant way. Like that. Um, I heard the timer. <laughs> yes, our timer went off. That's okay. We've got a couple minutes here. If you are in therapy that is not working well for you and you want to leave, I would suggest that you, I would suggest ideally that you could have a, a conversation, have a final session with the therapist and let them know, you know what, I've decided to move on. Here's what I've gained. Here's why I'm leaving. Whatever that might be, because that might be good for you to have a clean ending. If the relationship is so, if it's turned toxic, if you don't feel safe disclosing things any longer, if you feel you're going to be judged or something like that, you don't have to have that last session. You could, you could, I guess, leave a voicemail or whatever you'd like to do. Oh, that, that might feel like it's, it's not a, a complete ending. That is completely your prerogative because, again, you're the boss. And you can leave however you'd like. If you feel like therapy has gone well and like you've reached your goals and all of that stuff, what I'd like to suggest that clients do is talk about, I think, I think I'd like to talk about when we could end, when we'd be ending therapy and like have that discussion with the therapist. It doesn't mean you have to leave that session. Maybe you leave a couple months from then. And, uh, and there's this whole idea of a termination phase, which sounds maybe scary but it's not that scary it just means the time that from from when you decide that you're going to leave to the time you actually leave and some really amazing things can happen during that that phase i've found um sometimes if you've decided okay we're gonna we're gonna stop we're gonna wrap up a in a few months from now we have a date set um it may bring up new feelings for you that may bring up uh you know thoughts, feelings, dreams, fears, whatever it might be there that, uh, because then you're processing what it's like to have an ending. And I like to say that we have far, far too few good endings in, in life. You know, most of our endings are end on a sour note or with a lot of sadness or anger or something like that. And it's nice when we can have a good ending and therapy can be one of those places where you learn to have a really good ending. Mm. You wrap things up where it's nice, you know, everything is kind of consolidated. You have a good goodbye. You have an aftercare plan and you, and you go from there. So was that the ending to our podcast? Because it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess that'll be the ending to our podcast then. I don't want to spoil it with something else. That was else. like a bedtime story. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Morgan Freeman, a podcast right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Well, you guys, thank you for your time. And uh, please feel free to get into the holiday spirit. Grab yourself a ugly Christmas sweater or the ugly Christmas sweater rebellion at Amazon.com. Like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, or YouTube. Send us your questions to info info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Please tell a friend or an elf or a reindeer, and we will see you guys next week. In four, I think you win the ending.
Have a really perfect ending. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. 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 B